These questions that need answers. And last week, we, um, or the last two weeks, we've kind of taken a pause from that. We had Spring Retreat, which was a fantastic time to serve Frontier Camp and be a part of that. And then last week, I uh, just had a burden growing within me that we just needed to have a discussion on mental illness and just the real things that are hitting you guys. So anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, and just all of those things. And know that the takeaway from that, if you were out or if you missed it, is uh, you are loved as you are, not as you should be. You are valued for who you are and that you have help. No one should assume that, oh, I'm the only one, because that is what continues in and creates more and more of the problems. We think, I'm the only one struggling with this. I'm the only one struggling here or having these questions or these doubts or this voice in my head. But there is help around. And so um, I just want you to know that, hear that clearly. But we're going to jump back into questions that need answers. Questions that need answers. We started with who is saved. And there's so many religions out there. Which one is the right one and how do we know? And we came to the conclusion that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the only truth, the only life. And that who is saved It is those who repent and believe because the gospel says that God loves and he cares for and he saves sinners. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone we've talked about. Then the next week we ask the legitimate next question, can I lose my salvation? Because, yes, I want it, but then can I abandon it? Can I lose it? We looked at Judas and how, how did this man who was one of the twelve then end up selling off Christ for some pieces of silver? We talked about the parable of the, sea, uh, the sower, and we looked at the thorny and the rocky ground. The rocky ground being that shallow depth that it seems like it has faith, but then when trials come, it just perishes. The thorny ground that is choked out by the cares and the concerns of this world. How do I know that's not me? But we landed on the fact that we cannot lose what we did not earn. We cannot lose our salvation. We looked at Romans 8, ending that chapter, 35 through 39, as some hugely helpful verses for us. But in this series, as I've hoped to answer some questions, I think I've caused more. Yes, this is who is saved. Yes, this is I can't lose my salvation. But then we come to this legitimate next question. How do I know if I'm saved or not? How do I know I'm not the rocky soil? That when trials come, I'm going to fall away. How do I know that I am not the thorny soil who cares more about my career and my life and my family than I do about following my God? How do I know that what I prayed when I was six years old at a vacation Bible school with some lady I don't even remember, that I actually meant it? How do I know that at the youth service when I raised my hand because everybody else was raising their hand and I went down front and I repeated a prayer, how did I know that that was actual salvation in that moment? How do I know that though I was baptized when I was 15 and that that was cool and everybody celebrated, that I didn't really know what was going on in that moment and is that going to work? Am I still going to be saved? And we have these questions and these doubts and these worries and these concerns. How do I know that I am saved as I now sit in this deep addiction to sin? This cycle that I cannot seem to break. How do I know I am saved if this is what I feel every single day? How do I know that I am saved if I have legitimate questions of faith? Like, how did Jesus really feed the 5,000 with just that limited supply? Like, how did it multiply? Like, could you see it multiplying there or not? How did he walk on water? 
Was it just shallow and like we didn't realize there was a sandbar there and that was it? Like, how do I know that when Moses stuck his staff into the Red Sea that it just stopped and walled up? That doesn't make any sense to me. How did Noah get all of those animals on that one boat and they not eat each other? Because we have these questions. How do I know I'm saved if I have some struggles of doubts? Uh, I was hoping in questions that need answers to give you answers and to give you some confirmation there. And then I think all we've done is created more questions. And if you've never been in that, maybe you are now going, dang, Jordan, I wish you wouldn't have said those things because now I'm a little shook. (laughs) Good use of shook, Jordan. (laughs) My hope this morning is not to scare you, but to confirm for you that you know either, yes, I am saved, I am fully confident, or no, I'm not. And I need to wrestle with, do I want to be? The scariest place that you can sit is to believe that you are saved and not be. The scariest place you can be is on this shaky ground that you think is secure. So this morning, I hope that we can sit in this truth and that it will be helpful. I understand the place you are. I grew up in Auburn, Alabama, I know, I've always been an Alabama fan, okay? So don't worry about that. Larry, I had to bring it in, right? I grew up in Auburn, Alabama, and we attended a Methodist church. In the Methodist church, we went through vacation Bible school. We did all of those sort of things. But they have a specific class that you go to when you're in sixth grade that is confirmation class that then they teach you and verify that you understand what you're believing and all of this. Well, I moved my spring of fifth grade year, so I didn't go to confirmation class. But we started going to a Baptist church when I was in fifth grade. Once we moved to Tuscaloosa, we made it to the promised land, as you might say. Once we moved there, (laughs) Maddie, (laughs) once we moved there, then I went to vacation Bible school, and they asked and offered me a question I had never been offered. They said, if you believe that God created, that Jesus is his son, that he died for your sins, that you're a sinner and you need saving, then if you'll repeat, repeat this prayer after me, then you can be saved. They were giving me an opportunity I had never had before. So I remember this as vivid as I can, sitting next to a stuffed bobcat and repeating the prayer after this lady that I don't know to this day, but going, yes, all of this makes exact sense of what I have been taught and what I believe. So I didn't think much of it. I went downstairs, and instead of telling my mom, oh my gosh, I just became a Christian, I just run around and play and eat snack and all that sort of stuff. Because this was just something I thought, yeah, of course I do this. It was my friend who went up to my mom and said, hey, you wouldn't believe what Jordan just did. And so she's excited. I'm like, but mom, this is what we've always said, right? Like, this is the truth that we've always talked about. She goes, well, this is kind of a big deal. We need to go talk to the pastor. You need to be baptized. So I was baptized. I, once again, my grandmother, like, buys me a little uh, chain necklace with a cross on it. That was cool. So, like, everybody's excited. And I'm going, this is just what I believed like this isn't new and i think that was hard for me through high school because then you hear all of these experiences of people who have oh man i know i was lost and then i was found oh no i know i was terrible and now i am different i had this this is always when i've been just a new opportunity was presented and so through middle school and high school as sin becomes more prevalent in my life and more real and all of this I begin to go, am I really saved? Is what I did at 11 really enough? Do I need to do more? Do I need to believe more? Do I need to believe harder to actually be saved? 
I've thought a lot about that. I can't answer fully. I do think I was saved there, but I don't want my story to then answer for your story because I can't answer for your story. But I remember an evangelist came to our youth group, and like he was known to be the guy that's going to do the altar call. Like He's going to tell the story that somebody's going to die in a car wreck, and if they weren't saved at that moment, even if they were on their way to church, then they should have been and all of this. And so he kind of scare tactics you in. And I remember that night going, okay, I'm going to do it for sure, just to confirm. So I met with a guy a few years older than me, and I repeated the prayer again. Then from that moment on, I had a concrete moment of, okay, I am saved. Sin still became a problem. Sin still reigned and ruled at times in my life. But it was able to look back. I know where you are because I don't think I'm the only one that has a story similar to that. So this morning, I want to go through very quickly... That question, how do I know I am saved? First of all, we'll throw it on the screen. How do I know I am saved? Have you ever actually repented and believed? Have you repented and believed? Have you confessed, I am a sinner? I. What does that mean? I live against how God desires me to live. I choose to do things that I know are wrong. You may go, well, that's the rule of my parents. I don't know if I really agree with it. No, no, no. I choose things all the time to live in a manner that is against how God calls me to live. Have I actually repented? Have I confessed? I am angry, jealous. I am rude. I am lustful. I am crude. I am manipulative. I think that's how you say that. I am selfish. The sexual history I bring into this room is embarrassing if God was to see it. Have you ever confessed that and say, God, this is who I am? I love the prayer of the tax collector in Jesus' parable. Have mercy on me, O God. I am a sinner. The sinner. The worst of all sinners. Have you ever admitted your sin to God? But then there's another step. You want to repent from it, to turn from it, to live in a different way. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No, we'll talk about that. But I want to be living differently. And have you made Jesus your Lord? Believe him as Lord. We've looked at this in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, then he will save us. So some of you can probably just zone out from here on out for the rest of the 10 minutes I have. Don't hold me to that, but I think it's going to be pretty close. Uh... You can zone out because you know this is what I'm wrestling with. This is where I need to be. I need to confess and I need to actually make Jesus my Lord and to say, yeah, I'm going to follow you. If that's you, I want to talk to you this week. I really would love to talk to you today. But if that's you and you're going, I don't know where I am on this. I don't know if I've really done that or really meant it. We need to talk because I do want to have a place. If you want Jesus to be Lord, if you do want to be saved, then we need to go ahead and get sure up that ground instead of leave it. Um, on a sandy, unfirm place. Others of you, you have another question. How do I know if I meant it? Yeah, I've done that before, but how do I know if I actually meant it? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, okay? When you heard the truth and believed it, It says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. How do you know if you meant it? Are you sealed with the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? It is a sign and a seal. 
Now, unfortunately, we don't live in Acts 2 times where this tongue of fire then comes and rests down on you. And it's pretty easy to go, oh, yeah, Brady's got it. Yeah, we're, we're okay on that one. Well, we don't live in Acts 4 times where the uh, whole building shakes because the Holy Spirit is now a part of it. We don't, we don't see Acts 10 where the Gentiles and Cornelius' family have the Holy Spirit fall upon them. They begin speaking in tongues. Unfortunately, we don't get to see it that clearly or that uh, outwardly necessarily. But the Holy Spirit is the sign and the seal of our salvation. Only those who believe will have the Spirit. Now, we go to the next logical question. How do I know if I have the Spirit? All right, we're doing this very logically today. Hopefully this is helpful. How do I know if I have the Spirit? John 3, 13, excuse me, 35 says, By this you will know who my disciples are if you have love for one another. Their love will give them away. Matthew 7 talks about a tree bearing fruit. You will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 16. Verse 18. I'm going to get to verse 20 in a second. Verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. And jumping on this fruit of the Spirit. We're going to flip to Galatians 5. That's really where I want you to sit. Galatians chapter 5, it'll start off in verse 16 saying that the will of the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit is not to gratify the desires of the flesh, but to walk by the flesh will not gratify the desires of the Spirit. What does that mean? The Spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. They do not like each other. They do not uh, comp- cannot comprehend together. They are not congruent with one another. They are opposites. So what is the flesh? We talked about this in a vices series. I don't know if it was one year ago or two years ago in the spring, but we talked about all of these. And we looked at it. The works of the flesh, verse 19, are sexual immorality. Well, first of all, before we say that, the works of the flesh are evident. Don't overlook that. I was talking just now because that whole Rahab question of is she lying is just hard for everybody to wrestle through. Some of the girls group came up and they're like, okay, so what's your answer on this? And I'm sure every single group of y'all had this discussion during small group this week. But the works of the flesh are evident. Sin is evident. You know when you're doing it. There's sometimes maybe you're doing some things that aren't great that you need to be um, taught on, but you know when you're doing bad things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This isn't a complete list, but you get the gist, right? Like, this is sin. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those of you who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are actively and unashamedly taking part in the works of the flesh... That's a good sign that the Spirit is not in in you. If you're actively and unashamedly living in this way, it doesn't sound like the Spirit who opposes the things of the flesh is in you. But what is the Spirit producing? What is the fruit that is growing that if the Spirit is dwelling in you? And we're going to talk about this still. You're not going to be perfect. I get that. But what will the Spirit be producing in you? The Spirit produces love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice, 
it doesn't keep or it doesn't uh, produce. Oh, you just get your way. And I'm I'm non-confrontational, so that must be peace. No, that that's your non-confrontation. Peace is different. You're seeking peace with people. It, Oh, I'll just do some nice things because then they'll do nice things back for me. No, no, no. That's not kindness. That, that is wanting for yourself, and so you're manipulating people in order to get it. it. Self-control, gentleness, these are not things that you can just manipulate into things for your own good. But no, these are outward-focused ways of living. <clears throat> so as you begin to wonder, is the Spirit in me, are these things growing in me? You're not going to be perfect in patience, perfect in kindness, perfect in love. But are they developing within you? Do others see these qualities in you? Or do they see the first list? It'll say, Paul will say that in Christ you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Romans 6 will say there is a newness of life. The way I like to say it, and I hope that you guys catch on and realize what I'm trying to say here, is changed lives live changed lives. If you have been changed by Christ, you ought to live differently. Changed lives by Christ live changed lives. I remember uh, talking over this past year with a student who very honestly, and it's so much fun in this job because you guys are honest with me. You don't kind of like hide and try to pretend that you're good. You'll just lay it out there, right? And the student was like, Jordan, before I knew Christ, like, I mean, I was pretending and playing the game. But, I mean, I did nothing honoring to him. I was very active in the party scene, and drinking was a real problem for me. I was doing a lot of things with my person I was dating. And I didn't feel ashamed of that, and I was just doing it all day, anytime I wanted to. I, my language and my friendships were nothing towards encouraging or holy. I, I was deep into this sin. And then they said, and then Jesus changed my life. And things are different. I'm living differently. It doesn't mean that those temptations aren't there. It doesn't mean that I'm not wanting to fall back into those, that I'm not tempted, or that sometimes I've failed into it. No, absolutely, I have. This has been really hard to give up. But I am every day trying and striving to live differently. Change lives, live changed lives. And the way I want you to think about this is, if we're a Christian, then you're called to take radical steps for the sake of holiness. Mm-hmm. To, take, to do things that don't make sense except Christ is my Lord and my King. Jesus will teach about lust in Matthew chapter 5. We missed it. Troy taught on it while we were experiencing retreat. If your eye causes you to stumble, just rip it out. If your arm or if your hand causes you to stumble, chop it off. I think that's called radical steps for the sake of holiness, right? If your cell phone causes you to sin, maybe you don't need it. If this app, if this search, if this thing, if this relationship, if this class, if this major causes you to sin, maybe you need to rethink where its place is in your life. 
Change lives, live, change lives. That leads me to one, two more questions very quickly. Does that mean I need to live up to my salvation, that I need to earn it in some way? Because, I mean, we talked about, like, I, it's by grace, but it sounds like i got to live a changed life. Galatians 3, 2 through 3, I begin to really love this verse. It's a good reminder for me all the time. Let me ask you only this. I think this is the ESV. I might have gotten a different thing. No, it is. Good. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What is he saying? Were you saved because you're so good or because God's so good and you trusted him? Okay, hopefully we answer on this side, right? Because God's so good. Then why are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? What starts in faith is not finished by how good you are. You don't maintain your salvation. No, you continue in faith. Change lives live change lives, not perfect lives. I think some of us kill ourselves over the fact of, oh my gosh, I'm not perfect, I must have ruined it. No, we're taking steps. Sanctification is a process, not a snap. Romans 7, Paul gets you. Verse 15, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Okay? I get this, right? Asher was saying he was leading the middle school boys at uh, D now, and they're just going, guys, this doesn't make sense. I understand this. Like, why do I do what I don't want to do and do what I do want to? You get it, right? Like, ugh. You want to be kind, but you continue to fall back into rudeness. You, you want to be joyous, but instead you're jealous. You, you want to be pure, but lust is always knocking at the door. You want to be peaceful, but yet that person in your life just continues to test you. So then does it even matter? If what starts in faith is a complete in faith, does it really matter how I live? Final question. Absolutely. Because change lives lives change lives. If I'm going to say Jesus is my King and my Lord, I'm going to live differently. I'm not going to actively work against the person that I've invited to rule my life. That makes no sense. James 2, he'll say, you cannot claim faith and not live differently. Faith without works is dead. It does not make any sense. That'll be 2.17 if you ever want to read it. So, TLDR, because I got a little long. How do I know if I'm saved? Have you ever prayed... And confessed your sin and believed that Jesus and believed Him as Lord. How do you know if you meant it? Is the Spirit dwelling in you? How do I know if I have the Spirit? Are the fruits of the Spirit being grown within me? Because a good tree can produce or will only produce good fruit. Does this mean I have to now earn my salvation because I have to create good fruit? No. Faith is completed by faith, not by works. So does it matter how I live? Yes. A changed life lives changed lives. Why this message? And let's end with this last minute. For some of you, I hope to scare you out of a false security. Honestly. To wake you up that, holy crap, what I've been believing has just been my attendance, my going to a Bible study, my doing good enough, my pretending to believe. And I've been so concerned to ever admit that I don't know if I'm saved that I, I would rather not be embarrassed and risk hell. It doesn't make any sense. I hope to scare some of you out of this false security that you have or this embarrassment of how do I believe. There are 
tens, if not more, people in this room that probably need to have that conversation this week. That I don't really know. I mean, I said a prayer, and it's going to confuse my parents if I call them and say, hey, I don't know if I was saved, but I am now. No, 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 it's not going to confuse. It's going to be a celebration, okay? Does that mean maybe I need to get rebaptized? Sure, maybe so. Let's talk about that. I can't answer it um, generally. Uh, if you're living a dual life of prim and proper on Sunday, wild and reckless every other day, I, I think we need to start looking, is Jesus really my Lord, or did I just want him to be my Savior? I don't want any of us to rest on what is not solid ground. That's why I'm teaching this today. But for others of you, I hope that it silences the doubts, that it quiets the worries, that it confirms your confession. I'm not teaching this to get a bunch of hands raised or people baptized and all this. I'm teaching this because there are somebody in here, I believe there is somebody in here that does need that. And I am obligated to be presenting the truth to you and for all the others to confirm in you what you do believe. So if you have doubts, if you do have worries, if you're concerned in any way, feel free to stick around and talk with me right after this. Hit me up this week. Um, I will meet with you. My calendar is pretty clear this week. And I would love to talk with you about this. Um, do not continue in with doubts and worries. Let me either confirm one way or the other for you. So let me pray.